Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. So from here on out, the show's going to be a little different. We wanted to start playing up uh, the work of our great staff on Collider and what they're working on and what they're doing and, and sort of giving our listeners a better idea of, of the various as- you know facets of the site. Uh, so this week, we are bringing on our games editor, Dave Trumbor, for about a 10-minute spot to talk about the games coverage that he's been doing, as well as uh, the latest game that he's been covering, uh, Ghost of Tsushima. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to move into our main topic, which is Starship Troopers. So we're now joined by our games editor, Dave Trumbor, and he's going to talk a little bit about Collider beefing up its games coverage. He's as he Spider-Man! Is. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> as he as he broadcasts to us from a uh, a video game village that appears to be from a mix of Fable and Bioshock Infinite, and I'm I don't sure know, worlds you... would love to have that on their on their poster and their box art. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we're going to talk a bit about uh, what Collider is doing on that front, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Ghosts of Tsushima, which came out last Friday and which yeah. Dave and I have been playing. So Dave, uh, well, let us know a bit about what Collider is doing on the games front. Sure, absolutely. Well, as everybody out there listening knows, video games were only invented within the last few months. So we thought we'd jump on the bandwagon here and uh, get to some coverage uh, in addition to TV and movies. Uh, no, we've uh, we've wanted to cover video games here for a long time, and we've we've been covering them pretty you know pretty much since Collider's been around. It's just that we haven't had the opportunity or the resources or the staff or the time or any of those fill in the blanks to really dedicate a lot of coverage to it. And now we can't. And now's a really good time to do that anyway, because as a lot of you out there probably know, the current generation of video game consoles are kind of coming to a close this fall. And we're about ready to launch some brand new consoles with next gen technology. So we felt it was a really good opportunity, a really good time to really dig into video game coverage and, and get serious about it. And we've only been doing it for about a month so far, and it's been really good so far. We've, we've had a blast. Uh, we've had some really good feedback from the community. And honestly, it's just been a lot of fun for me to kind of dig into the latest games rather than waiting for like three years after they come out. So it's been it's been a good time. Meeting well, all the chill and super nice Last of Us 2 fans. 100%. What's <laughs> funny is actually now that the game's been out for a little while and all that kind of initial emotion and reaction and uh, knee jerk, you know, reactionary stuff has calmed down. There's actually been a lot of a lot of people who have reached out and really thanked me or appreciated the uh, the coverage that I've uh, I and, and the video team have put on uh, Collider covering The Last of Us. So I think that's just testament to the fact that it's a very important franchise, a very important title to a lot of people, and a lot of people were upset. But now that they've kind of taken some time to uh, to kind of think about it a little bit, it's more of an open conversation. I'm not saying everybody agreed with me. But it's definitely been a lot more civil discussion rather than just uh, angry reactionary stuff. So that's been good, too. Well, now we've got uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which just recently came out uh, this past Friday. Uh, And your review for the game was pretty glowing. And I played it recently. What what do you like best about Ghost of Tsushima? Uh, Why is it a game worth playing? Sure. Uh, In this era of of a lot of MMORPGs, a lot of multiplayer kind of 
a lot of games are first forcing multiplayer for better or worse. Uh, and a lot of people like that. Old gamers like myself aren't necessarily comfortable with that. And it's not necessarily the thing that I'm looking for. So if you're looking for a single player RPG kind of adventure game, action adventure game, this is, I mean, it's like made for you. It, that's exactly what this thing is. Like it kind of defines right now what a single player RPG action adventure is. It's got all the elements you want. It's got a lot of the pain points removed from, from previous um, similar games. This comes from Sucker Punch Productions which their last major franchise was Infamous. I absolutely loved, but they haven't had a title in the Infamous franchise in five or six years since, uh, I think, the third uh, third game and its, its DLC, its extra content came out. So they've been working on this for a while, and I think it really shows. They learned a lot from uh, Infamous and that franchise, and they also learned a lot from folks like Akira Kurosawa and, you know, decades' worth of samurai films. So there's an interesting kind of blend between uh, diehard video game stuff that like single player RPG fans want. They want a long campaign. They want a lot of variety in how you customize your character, how you approach the gameplay. If you want to be an honorable samurai, you absolutely can do that for the most part. If you want to be a sneaky archer like myself and just kind of stealth through the shadows and, and knife people in the back, not so honorably, uh, you can do that too. So there's a lot of flexibility in the gameplay. And to be honest, I'm still playing it. I know Matt is too, because it's a very long game and there's a lot of stuff to do. So a lot of content is always good especially when you're usually dropping like 60 bucks for a title yeah i, I started playing it this weekend and i i kept it it did what what good games do which is that i would complete a mission i'm like oh but what's over that hill and just oh there, there's another mission well i'll just play that one more mission and then you just and then suddenly it's like four hours later and you, you're like ah, ah oh and okay. there's a golden bird here i wonder what he's yeah i, have to, I always follow gotta follow bird. the bird <laughs> that's gotta the, follow the bird you have to pet the fox uh, yes. Unfortunately, you can't pet the horse, which makes me sad. But well, there are cutscenes where he does pet the horse, so that's okay. One of the things I really am enjoying about the game is that it doesn't get in its own way. Yep. And that well, what I mean by that is that there are certain games where I think there's such a an emphasis on realism that it kind of mucks up the gameplay. So and I like that, like in Ghost of Tsushima, when it's time to call my horse... I can just press a button and the horse shows up. I don't have to be like, no, you have to be in the vicinity of a stable that you've unlocked by freeing the stable master. Like, no, just, just let me call my horse. The best part about that horse is you have an industry. Let me, let me say this clearly. You have an indestructible teleporting horse. It's not in the game story necessarily, but it is an indestructible teleporting horse. You can ride this thing in the battle and yeah, it'll take a hit and run away. But if you are on a ledge that's maybe too high, Take that sucker right off the ledge. You'll be fine. If you're okay with that. <laughs> Your horse will be fine, I promise you. It's a, it's a shock to the system, but it's an indestructible horse. And if you happen to run through a base and hop over a wall to clear it, like you ride through on your horse and then you hop over a wall, which obviously your horse can't do, you can just call that horse instantly and he'll teleport out of the base and he'll join you right there, like Matt said. So that's been fun. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I like a game that just sort of allows me to play it. And like... Right. You know, I was reading some of the criticism of the game and like, yeah, like Ghost of Tsushima doesn't like reinvent the wheel of, you know, this genre. But I think there's something to be said for just making a really good wheel. And I think that this is a game that like I'm enjoying the setting a lot. I'm enjoying the gameplay mechanics. Um, Are you enjoying I, learning about Mongol culture and artifacts? Oh, that's that's what I came for. I mean, there's great that there's a video game the game. attached to that. But mostly I'm here for the Mongol artifacts. Exactly. I'm learning so much, actually, that I have to like 
sometimes I'm like, should I double check this on at least Wikipedia or should I like it's, it's been fun that they're folding actual history into it, too, because a lot of people wouldn't know that, you know, Tsushima is a real place. And the team at Sucker Punch actually went there. They spent quite a bit of time there and they wanted to recreate kind of the, the sights, the sounds uh, and the feel of Tsushima. So it's, it's really interesting to see that it's kind of it's a game that's set in a uh, historical reality. You know, there was a Mongol invasion. This is a real place that actually existed. The samurai code and the culture and everything that's kind of wrapped up around it is based in reality, too. So, yeah, it's not necessarily quite like Assassin's Creed. It, it's definitely not like a Neo or a Sekiro, but it's its own thing. And I think it's it's so far so good. Yeah. So that's a really great game. And if you have a PlayStation 4, it's only on PlayStation 4. Yeah. Um, but Sorry. if you have that that system, I would highly recommend it. I You know, the thing about the PlayStation 4 is that I don't buy games for it often, but when I do, they're like, they turn out to be like my favorite games of the year. Like that's that's what was the case with like God of War and, and Spider-Man. And that's my main console. That's really, I mean, I have a Switch, fingers crossed, on the way. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to dig into like the back catalog of all the Switch games and the new stuff that's coming out. I intercepted but... the tracking on that, so you're not oh, going to no. be getting that. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know how it is. just to play Overwatch, which is the only game Adam plays. I Adam's play actually like... retiring full-time overwatch streamer That's what i I've play heard. like two or three games like a year and like overwatch is the game that i play because i have two other like friends who i'm friends with in real life who play it online so like that's like my socializing especially now under quarantine <laughs> um but i like i don't have a playstation so like i play like this year i played outer worlds yeah. and far cry 5 on dave and allison's recommendation uh which was fun because i got to have a bear as a buddy yeah. uh to help me fight things um, but I frequently see stuff like Spider-Man where I'm like, ah, kind of wish I had a PlayStation. <laughs> do you guys have Xboxes? I don't even know. Like, I'm I'm pretty much a casual gamer. I, I have too many systems. I have <laughs> I have I have the Xbox, the Switch and the PlayStation. And I also <laughs> built a Raspberry Pi for retro gaming. So I'm I'm, well, I'm in too deep. <laughs> well, my question was because I don't know enough about. Uh, I'm not super into the gaming world. Like, what are are there any exclusive titles to the Xbox that are like, oh yeah, that's that makes me really happy I, that I have an Xbox. God, God I mean, of War for me. No Gears Xbox. War. Oh, for Xbox. I was gonna say because um, there is Gears of War. There is <laughs> Gears of War. Go with that for Xbox and you know, it's funny. Like, I I like the way the Xbox plays, but is there? Eh, you know, I don't know. I don't think there's like a single like exclusive title that I've I've played on Xbox, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. It it hasn't really stood apart that way. It's just always been Halo, and like Halo was the only one. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, Halo, Halo Infinite and Gears. And... So Halo Infinite might be, if you're into that, that yeah. might be a reason to get it. But a lot these days, a lot of things are, are kind of cross-platform. So yes, right. Sony has a ton of exclusives, and they're usually pretty solid. But there is a lot of cross-platform play. And uh, even with the kind of like multiplayer and the the, the online components... So a title may not only come out for all different platforms, they're increasingly becoming, if it's a, if it's a, a multiplayer component, they're starting to find ways to be able to allow people on any system to be able to play with each other. Sort of like, you know, Overwatch. They want everybody to be able to play and access each other, not just locked into whatever system you have. I did, I did however, think of my Xbox exclusive, and that is it has a 4K player. Which is nice. Which is nice. Is but that'll nice. soon be on the next generation consoles. 4K players will be standard. Unless you get the digital console, which has no disk drive at all. Yeah. So. <laughs> which I was thinking about. And now I'm reconsidering because I'm like, I would actually like that 4K player built in. Whoops. Way of the future. 
<laughs> well, when that when those consoles arrive, we'll definitely have you back on the show, Dave, to talk us through those. So thank you so much for joining us and uh, have fun in Tsushima. Thanks, guys. See you later. Thanks again to Dave for talking to us. And now we asked you all to vote on what movie on Netflix you'd like us to discuss. And y'all chose Starship Troopers, which was a wise decision. Uh, Paul Verhoeven's 1997 satire, which was not appreciated at all when it was released in 1997. Are we talking Starship Troopers? I saw Tenet. I thought we were talking about Tenet. Oh, well, that's the secret podcast that uh, no one... You have to know the secret code uh, to get to that. I that guess podcast. I won't talk we'll about talk Tenet. About Tenet. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it, though. Yeah, can you believe that, you know, Robert Pattinson was actually Leonardo DiCaprio the whole time? <laughs> Who was actually Christopher Nolan the whole was time? Actually Christopher <laughs> Nolan. The Christopher real stand-in. Surprise Tenet is Christopher Nolan's rip on adaptation. Yes. <laughs> he wrote himself into the movie. It's about him writing Inception. What yes. if it is? What if we just cracked Tenet? <laughs> That's the time inversion. Yeah. All right. So, no, we're talking about Starship Troopers, and uh, it's a really sharp movie. Uh, For those who need a refresher on it, uh, it's based off the Robert Heinlein book, and it takes place in sort of this uh, fascist uh, future where humanity is fighting off against these space, space aliens called arachnids or bugs. And there's a distinction. If you are a you, you are either a citizen or a civilian, but only citizens have any control. And the only way to be a citizen is you have to serve in the military. And so the military sort of impart, it, it's a fascist culture that, and you sort of see what the film is doing with its satire is playing up how violence factors into everything in a fascist society. And it's a really kind of, it's, I don't want to say it has a chip on its shoulder, but it is a very sharp piece of satire uh, when you look at what it's trying to do. But I think that it was that people kind of missed it because they're like, oh, OK, it's just a, it's just a movie about soldiers fighting space aliens. You know what's you know, what's there to say? And to me, that's a bit you'd have to ignore or not have seen the fact that like Paul Verhoeven made Robocop, <laughs> you know, like it's not like this is his first sci fi satire. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a good film. It's well cast for what it is. Like, I'm not saying like Casper Van Dien is like the greatest actor ever, but he cast correctly for what this movie is supposed to be. Um, Adam, what were your thoughts on this latest viewing? I mean, I I saw this movie when I was way too young. I think it was maybe like 11 or 12. And I'm (laughs) sorry. What? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I watched I watched everything when I was a kid, basically. Yeah, I was older than you when this film came out and my mom wouldn't (laughs) let me see it wisely. Well, this was like Friday nights. We would go to Blockbuster and I'd get to pick out like two or three movies. And that would be my weekend when I was a kid, Um, you know, unless we had like soccer or whatever going on. Uh, And yeah, I would be as long as something wasn't like clearly like an erotic thriller or something. My mom was like, yeah, that's probably fine, uh, which is why this movie was surprising to me because it's it's very it's uh, it's pretty graphic. And I think I must have like taken to the box, like the VHS box of it, because I really liked Independence Day because I loved Independence Day. And this came out of when year did Independence Day come out? Because this 95. is 97. No, not, wait, so, 96, 96. 96, yeah. So this was like a year later. Um, and I think I thought it was just like a 
fun little sci-fi movie and it turns out like it kind of scarred me like the the violence in the movie is very graphic and very affecting um but, but I, you know well i didn't know that <laughs> i was a kid <laughs> I was like, oh, is that what it looked like when a guy gets shot in the head accidentally? Uh, I felt so bad for that guy that gets shot in the head in, in the training camp. Um, I turned out OK, I think. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, so like I didn't understand that it was a satire. I didn't necessarily understand what it was supposed to be, but I enjoyed it. Like I liked the movie. Um, but then a common refrain like in the years following was that it was a bad movie like it, it was just like a b movie and like it was just so silly and i know like so i don't know about you like i had friends in high school who like i would try and take them to something like kill bill i remember very vividly I went to see kill bill with two friends and we came out and one of them was just like that is the worst movie i've ever seen this was volume one um and he had no like bearing he didn't understand like the exploitation aspect of it. He didn't understand the like incongruous like music styles. And so to him, it was just wrong. Like these are not what a movie is supposed to be. And I think for Jack, some, agrees, Jack, with <laughs> Jack agrees that that's not what a movie is supposed to be. Well, and I think for some people who aren't watching as many movies as we are, they see something like Starship Troopers and there are these interstitials that are supposed to be, you know, satirical because they're propaganda, but they're like, what is, like, is this, like this is a really dumb way of telling me what the story is and what's going on in this world. Um, I think it just feels incongruous and strange to them. And admittedly, I didn't pick up on the satire until years later, but um, I don't know. It's had this reputation as like you bring it up and people either say, Oh, that movie is brilliant or, Oh, that movie is garbage. And if someone says, Oh, that movie is brilliant. Invariably there's someone in that conversation who's like, what starship troopers. And then they explain that it's a satire and they're like, really? Like they didn't, didn't understand it. It just flew over so many people's heads. And so in this and most I, recent viewing, I was like, oh yeah, it's very clear. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you have to sort of, in a weird way, I think it marketing guides so much of like what we think, like universal. I don't think knew that this was a satire yeah. universe. Like he, he Paul Verhoeven kind of got away with something because it wasn't marketed as like a satire it was marketed as you know, space cadets versus bugs, like very yeah. straightforward. And if you look at it from a very straightforward standpoint, it seems kind of weird and repulsive and like, well, these characters aren't very good and these people can't act. And like, what is this even about? Like, and the movie doesn't seem to really even have an ending. And what yeah. is this film? But if you see it as a satire, like that's against fascism, everything clicks into place because that's what Paul Verhoeven was going for. Like that, that is the movie. And I think if when you take the movie on its own terms, it is abundantly clear. Like at one point, Neil Patrick Harris walks into the room and he's wearing like a store, like an SS outfit, basically. <laughs> like shy of having an of having a swastika on his arm, he is dressed the same way Nazis dress. And it's it all goes to the way that Verhoeven is pointing out, like these note this notion of militarism and heroism being intertwined with each other creates this sort of fascist broth that perpetuates itself. Like there is no ending to the film because fascism has no endpoint other than its continued glorification and sending people off to be maimed and killed in endless war. Like sending kids know, off. Sending like, kids. That's, exactly. That's one like, of the main and, points of the film is that they're yeah, children. It, yes, yes, exactly. And well not just children, but that people that have bought into this this fascist philosophy so much that like you have um Clancy Brown Clancy Brown's character and he is like 
you know, I'll become a private again just so I can go fight bugs. Yeah. And it's like, what? You're like a middle-aged man. He's like, no, I want to do it. And same with like Michael Ironside's character. They're like, I just want to go fight bugs. And like they 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 sort of thrive on this childish notion of heroism that really, again, only serves the war machine. Um, and I think, again, one of the reasons like it didn't get picked up as satire, in addition to it not being marketed that way, is that there is no voice in the film that calls it out as such. There is no dissenting voice. There is no like pro bug propaganda. Like there's no, like no one makes it like, like the bugs by their very nature aren't humanized, but also like they're not, there's no like scene where like, no, the bugs are actually just want to be left alone or anything like that. There's yeah. just, it's all from the perspective of like the fascists. And basically Verhoeven made a film where what would the fascists do like, how would they make a movie about themselves? And that would be Starship Troopers. Well, and I think it's implied as well. The whole thing is that the bugs are hurtling these asteroids towards Earth. I think it's implied that the bugs are not purposefully hurtling these asteroids towards Earth. They're just kind of being shot out. Maybe maybe I'm reading that wrong. But to me, it, it felt very, like you say, there is no, there's no attempt made to humanize or empathize with the bugs. But there's also, the film understands that they know nothing about these bugs. Right, like, exactly. They make no attempt to understand them. Right, exactly. Like there's no there's no attempt to humanize the bugs, but there's actually really no attempt to villainize them either. Yeah. There's no like ah they, they you know they're built on world conquest. We only know that because of the perspective of our characters who have already been indoctrinated to believe this about their enemy and therefore the war always continues. And it's really like, it's just a, such a short film. And I kind of can't help but wonder, like, like how would this film have played, not just in terms of if it had been marketed correctly, but I also think releasing it in 1997 was kind of a weird time because even though we were like involved in various skirmishes around the globe, like in Bosnia and Kosovo and things like that, we didn't have like a 9-11, like war on terror, big campaign. Like imagine if Starship Troopers had been released in 2004 like after the war in Iraq and like the way like propaganda, like war propaganda had really taken hold. Like in that way, Starship Troopers looks very much like a piece of foreshadowing, uh, yeah. even though it's what it's drawing from is like, you know, Nazis, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like, that's the thing. Like, that's another thing. Like people can't imagine like, Oh, how can these good looking, you know, English speaking actors be the Nazis? Like, yeah. What if we're the bad guys? What if the heroes are the villains? but they think they're the heroes. Like that to me is like, yeah. it's a really clever inversion, but you have to sort of hang with it to, to, to go to get what the film is trying to do. That's what I find really interesting about it is that it's not even necessarily a, a distinctly American film. It's history. It's yeah. drawing on history. It's, you know, stuff that is going on for centuries. Um, and it's how wars have been waged forever. You know, you go back and you study ancient Greece uh, or ancient Rome or anything like that. Like, uh, it's it's these ideas that have always been around. So, well, I think you're right. I think it may have been a little bit more potent had it been released in the wake of 9-11 in the wake of the war on terror. Um, I don't know. It feels pretty evergreen. It feels like Paul Verhoeven was just like, yeah, this is what we do. as humans. Well, and it feels evergreen in a way that's like it's very sharp and yet it never received the acclaim of something that something that I think that is kind of fascist, which is something like a film like 300, which yeah. does not question it's it's characters motives like in in Frank Miller and I guess Zack Snyder's view, depending on how much credit you want to give him for basically just copying and pasting the 300 graphic novel onto the screen. 
the Spartans are about like, we're about freedom and we're about, you know, the glory of battle and, and death. And I'm like, yeah, you're about freedom. You're also a culture that kills babies if they're born imperfectly. Like, <laughs> or like it's, it's it, your, your own philosophy doesn't carry through, but in 300, everything is meant to be badass and cool. Like it's not consciously silly. Like it wants yeah. to be like, this is a good thing. Whereas in Starship Troopers, like a comic refrain is, Medic. Sorry, go ahead. I was just I was also thinking like given like how bloody and violent this is, but in a silly way, like if they ever made a live action Rick and Morty film, it like Paul Verhoeven should direct it. <laughs> yes, that'd be funny. Yeah, I was gonna say I did have a college professor um who uh, taught a class called Freedom in Greece that was he noted that 300 was surprisingly more accurate than you might think mm -hmm. um and i think in terms of that barbarism and and warrior being above all like the be all end all is being a warrior and i think that's and i think that's fine but to me where where 300 goes astray is when you have like you know lena hetty being like freedom isn't free yeah. and it's like it costs a bucko fine I, <laughs> I, I can't ever say it. but she literally does say freedom isn't free <laughs> freedom cost a bucker fair yes Team America is another really good film about uh, a, a more distinctly American film than yeah, Starship Troopers. But that film announces itself as satire by virtue of everyone being puppets. Yes. <laughs> Whereas Starship Troopers, like, again, like, that's the thing. Like, Starship Troopers plays it just close enough to, like, this could be a real movie yeah. that it's easy to miss that. No, no, no. They're trying to be funny. Like they're trying yeah. to actually like, they're trying to like make a point, but they're also trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't think at any point Paul Verhoeven's like, ah, this Casper Van Dien is the next, <laughs> the next James Dean, you know, it's he's. Yeah. Well, that's part I mean, of it. He's like soap opera stars. Like that's. Yeah. You have the, this love story, but you have, you know, him saying goodbye to Denise Richards and he says, I love you. And she doesn't say it back. And he's like, try it on just once. And it's just this very like melodramatic love story. And, you know, again, if you're watching this movie straight, you're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like this is, I don't buy any of this. And you get to, and I do think the film, uh, the film is not unconcerned with the love story and, and the characters that uh, it's dealing with. And I think that's partly why I don't think, it's not like my favorite movie. I do think it's a very sharp pointed satire, but you know, Paul Verhoeven is still trying to service an actual story. And it's based on a book that was not the, I don't think the book was supposed to be satire. No, so. the book. So the, that's the thing in the book, Robert Heinlein is basically a spout. Like there are long sections where he's basically espousing fascist philosophy. Like there are just long sections where it's like, well, why, why doesn't the military just determine everything? You know, yeah. what's so wrong with that? You know, maybe it is good that only soldiers can be citizens. I'm like, no, no, that's bad. That's a bad <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, and but Verhoeven basically said, like, let's take these ideas and satirize them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, because you get to the end and there's like a love quadrangle happening. And I'm kind of less interested in what's going on there, uh, both because the, you know, the acting isn't stellar. Um but that's not like the main focus of the movie as well. So I don't know. I thought that that was a part of it that didn't necessarily hold up on this most recent rewatch for me was it, I didn't find myself emotionally compelled or emotionally um, connected to most of the characters. Yeah. I mean, I think 
you know, Roger Ebert called them interchangeable. Um, <laughs> and I think that to me though, I think that's kind of not to give the film too much credit, but I think that's kind of the point is that fascism wipes away individualism, that your desires become subsumed to the n- desires of the state. Um, and so because the state is always demanding your, you give your body to be used as, you know, cannon fodder or be, you know, in some sort of violent thing of glory that there is really no room for being a, being a person with your own ideas and your own ideals. You can't even, you know, fight back. And that thing is, and I, you know, it's weird. I think one of the shortcomings of maybe it's one of its strengths and its weaknesses is that it doesn't even seem to, it doesn't really encompass the totality of fascism, which is, you know, it does have that xenophobia against the bugs, but it doesn't have like, well, this is what we do with dissenters. And like, this is what yeah. we do with, you know, there, there's no, there's none of that. Again, it's all very, but I think by keeping it focused on the militarism and sort of this notion of like heroic glory, it does make the shep, the satire sharper because it's so focused. It doesn't want to be the all encompassing. So um, fascism movie, but the, the trade off there is that you do get these very thin interchangeable characters where it's like, is there any real difference between Johnny Rico and Z- and Xander? Is there any real difference yeah. between Dina and um, a Carmen? Is there not really? Yeah. Not not significantly. Well, and the film also when you get to the end, it's it's making a point like it's it's not supposed to be entirely real, realistic because when you get to the end, all is it one, two, three? Yeah, all four of these characters are now in leadership positions in the military. Like, that's bonkers. Like, these four high school cohorts who mm-hmm. just randomly went to the military. You know, Neil Patrick Harris is head of the science, and Denise Richards and uh, the Xander dude are, like, heading up this, uh, you know, very important spaceship. Uh, like, all of these, when you get to the end, they're all, like, in these major leadership roles. And I think that's, I think that's also letting on a little bit that, you know, you're not supposed to take these characters too seriously this is an exaggerated film right exactly you can't you can't ask for nuance in a movie that's trying to be like no this is supposed to be funny like you're these the, this you know i've these characters are supposed to be generic in such a way that i can make my larger point rather than you getting hung up i'm like well if this character hadn't done x or if he cared a bit more about y then he'd be more like it does again the whole point is that your individualism gets wiped away because the only importance that you have is as a warm body to be thrown at an enemy and you know and again like the leadership roles like aren't going to say like and that's again there's all these facets where the film could go and it just i think wisely decide i mean the film's over two hours long already there's really no time to be like and here's how military intelligence is terrible like it it shows you that it's dumb like and they they keep screwing up like that's the thing they never win a battle like until the very end they never win a battle they all go horribly wrong and again it's funny how they go wrong like there's like the captain of the starship who they they really revere and a door lands on her (laughs) yeah Well, in in that interchangeability, too, you get to the very end and one of the final scenes is Casper Van Dien and, uh, you know, one of his fellow soldiers are in control of the new Roughnecks. And like very purposefully, the actors who are playing these new Roughnecks are like 15 years old, 14 years old. Yes. (laughs) Like they are literal children. And they're like, oh, I guess we're the old men now. And the implication there being that, like, 
they're gonna die soon. Casper Van Dien and his friend are gonna die soon, and then it'll just be an eighteen-year-old that's in charge now. It's just this cycle of of right. bodies, like you said, this interchangeable. Yeah. The film can't end. Like, like it's if you're watching it and you think and you're taking it serious, you're like, well, this movie doesn't have an ending because the ending is is like we'll keep fighting and we'll win, and like that's the joke. Like, yeah, they'll keep fighting and they'll never win because yeah. the war exists to perpetuate itself. So, yeah. like, they'll keep fighting and all these characters will die, and like it doesn't matter. Like, there's you can't take it seriously. Um, but I, I do feel like, oh gosh, there was something I wanted to say about, um these characters ah, it'll come back to me but yeah it's i i feel like you can't you know it, it does it does perpetuate itself that's what i wanted to talk about the propaganda the propaganda within <laughs> the film yeah. is so perfectly done like that to me is the callback to the robocop stuff like yeah. that verhoven did yeah the would you like to know more would you like yeah, to know dude, more? And like the and kids like fighting over a gun and the soldiers being like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> the kids stomping out cockroaches and it's like, do your part. Even yes. though like the government knows this doesn't help. It's something that will consciously make people antagonistic towards bugs right. of any kind. Well, and even then, like, I mean, it's to me, one of the best jokes in the film that I didn't pick up on until this recent viewing is that like, you know, the soldiers keep calling the arachnids, the, the bugs, the bugs. And then like, you look at the scale of the bugs and like, no, no, you're the bug. You're the bug in comparison to this giant beetle that just came out of the ground. You're very tiny. Yeah. You're the bug. <laughs> Do you not get that? <laughs> yeah. The inferiority of the humans and just the complete lack of curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity <laughs> or awareness or any, the thing, and again, it can never, there's never, there's no idea of working towards peace. There's only, we can only persevere by annihilating the other. Yeah. So, um, again, that's the other thing. The other, the other fascism thing is that fascism always leads to genocide. So just, just fun stuff in this very weird film. But, you know, when you look at like Paul Verhoeven's career, I just feel like he, he has got gotten away with so many, his films are classics and it's, I think it's very telling that when you try to remake them, the remakes are just soulless and uninteresting and they miss the personality that he's bringing to his movies. Like when they tried to remake total recall and RoboCop, they, it was a disaster. Both those films are just forgettable crap. Yeah. They're soulless. Cause if you just take RoboCop or total recall at face value from a plot perspective, it's not super duper interesting. It's all in the telling of those stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't remember. Total Recall is based on a. Is it based on a Philip K. Dick? Yeah. 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 So we like can they're for you wholesale. Yeah. So like they're based on other things, but just him doing stuff with them and purposely casting someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, who is kind of silly in in this role, um, as Quaid. I don't know. I I find, and I haven't seen all of Verhoeven's films. I've seen uh, you know RoboCop and Total Recall seen showgirls and well that's Starship even showgirls like showgirls like was like called trash upon its release but i think showgirls is kind of like brilliant trash like to me the way i think about showgirls is like what if i asked you to like i had a deck of cards and i said i want you to guess every black card and you ended up guessing every red card you'd be completely wrong but in a really interesting way <laughs> that's what i think like, it is wrong it is perfectly wrong <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long. I do not remember that movie. Yeah. Except for um, the but, fish scene. Yeah. But like, I mean, even a film like black book, which is more in a more serious vein for Verhoeven is still like 
has some wild scenes in it, but it's very dark. Movie. Yeah, I, I just think I think he's one of our more under. I, I think he's getting more credit as time has gone on. Like, but again, I think in his own time, like people like RoboCop and Total Recall were hits. But I don't think like they were fully appreciated as much as like they were doing and certainly not Showgirls and Starship Troopers. Those were not appreciated at all. I think Basic Instinct was one of the few that, uh, you know, got pretty good notices at the time Mm -hmm. when it came out. But again, even like Basic Instinct is a a crazy movie. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like it's it's nuts. It's an erotic thriller. It's an erotic thriller, but like there's like everyone remembers the beaver shot. And it's just yeah. like it's just like the thing about Verhoeven is he's kind of fearless and like talking in, in in making movies about violence and sex, but not in a way that I think he I don't think he does it in such a way that he's making that he's taking them on directly. He wants to sort of satirize or show that they're silly or show that there's something twisted happening here. And I think that he doesn't get enough credit for kind of working within mainstream filmmaking to actually, but actually sort of satirizing and undercutting the, the mode that he's working in. I think the one for me that is still feels that icky. I haven't seen, I haven't seen hollow is, man. I was going to say is hollow man still feels icky. Cause it is all about it. Kevin Bacon turns himself invisible and then just proceeds to grope and watch and touch and just do very gross sexual things to his coworkers. Then it turns like it devolves into a horror film, like a slasher movie, kind of. Um, I think Josh Brolin's in that movie, too. Elizabeth Shue. Uh, The movie was wild. I also saw that one way too young. (laughs) But it's another one where the violence is like very striking and like, whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. Verhoeven does not fuck around with violence. Like he, even he will... Total Recall with the Total the recall. head exploding in Mars, like yeah. that that really upset me. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Again, Rick and Morty movie. Paul Verhoeven. Yes. yes, Paul Verhoeven should direct a Rick and Morty. I mean, I say that I say that as if Rick and Morty was not inspired by the works of Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, if, yeah. like Dan Harmon and, and Justin Roiland haven't seen these movies. Sure. Have you seen L? Did you see L? I did not see L and I, I want, I, I've been meaning to, and it just kind of dropped off my radar and I feel bad yeah. about that because I heard I good things the reviews are very good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he's still got it, <laughs> but yeah, like Hollywood, still stuff. he's still got it, but I don't think like there's any room for him in Hollywood anymore. Like, no. And I think he consciously left Hollywood after hollow man. He started making films, not in the, not in the U S anymore. Yeah. Like black book is German. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like he doesn't, I think he just sort of, but like if, even if he were to want to come back and I don't think he does, no studio would ever make the movies he's trying to make right now. Like no one's no. going to be like, let's make a blockbuster. That's also a satire about fascism. No one's yeah. going to make that. And no one's going to make it specifically the way that he wants to make it. Like right. he, he's one of those directors that you make little changes and it kind of loses its teeth yeah. as we saw with the remakes of RoboCop and Total Recall. My hope is that like maybe like Netflix would be dumb enough to just drive a dump truck of money up to him and be like, here, make whatever you want. And then yeah. he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You asked for it. Yeah. That would be interesting. But yeah, I think Starship Troopers, you know, I I think the me to me the most fascinating thing about Starship Troopers is how it people just didn't get it when it came out. And I it made me wonder, like, are there other films that were like 
and, and I say this is like, ah, oh, they didn't get it. Like I, I'm a working critic. I'm sure there's things that like I'm missing or not understanding. And I'm kind of like, what, what's going to be, you know, my Starship Troopers, some film that like comes out and like completely misunderstand it, you know, Zack Snyder's but, Sucker Punch. Exactly. Which is actually brilliant. <laughs> well, and see, I will say though, like, because it came out in 97, I don't think there was sort of the the way criticism work was kind of like, it was kind of a closed system. You usually like critics tended to be older and they tended to be, you know, in these established newspapers. And so they had this kind of one way of thinking. Whereas I think nowadays with, with the internet, you have a lot more diversity of thought. And so people can kind of advocate for a movie in a way that it wasn't necessarily advocated for before. Yeah, for sure. Like all the uh, ironic love for, for Tom Hooper's cats. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> finally, Thank at you, long internet. last. Uh, so yeah, so that was Starship Troopers. Uh, anything else to to add? No, I just think it holds. Would you up like to know well. more? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to recently watched. What have you seen lately? Uh, so I finally, it took me a while because uh, I've been watching, I've been catching up with the Umbrella Academy on Netflix in anticipation of season two. Uh, which we will talk more about on this podcast because I think it's fucking great. Um, but I finally watched The Old Guard this weekend, um, which was released on Netflix two weeks ago, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, and, uh, about uh, two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, July 10th. Um, and it's really good. Like, it, it made me kind of angry how good it is because, I don't know, for one, I didn't necessarily think the trailer was that interesting. It looked a little bit more algorithmic as we've spoken about with Netflix movies. Um, but in practice, like, if you know, from the word go, I was hooked and I found it continually. It at every turn where I thought a scene was going to go one way, it goes another way. That's much better. So it, it gets to these scenes that you're like, oh, this is the scene where this happens because that's what they do in these kinds of movies. Like, that's the trope. That's where it goes. That's what this character does. And it doesn't go that way. And it's all the better for it. it it's, uh, I mean, I think Gina Prince-Bythewood directs the hell out of it. It's got some really great action scenes, but also the emotional complexity of the characters. Like, it's an action movie that has characters that it takes time to make you care about. And give complexity to like the characters are not. So the idea of the movie is that there are these four characters who are immortal, immortal warriors and they've lived for a very long time and they're being pursued. They're being hunted. And now there's a new one of them um, played by Kiki Lane, who they're kind of having to train and stuff. And so based on that premise alone, I was like, Oh, I kind of know how this is going to go. Um, and normally you have, you know, the supporting characters who are not as interesting or not as important, but with just key little scenes, uh, the film really fleshes out each one of these characters. So you kind of know who each of them are, what drives each of them, what's keeping them going, what their wants and needs and desires are. Um, again, which makes all the difference. They're not interchangeable. And I think Charlize Theron is super interesting in this film and has a really great chemistry and really great dynamic with Kiki Lane. Um, and I don't know, I just it kind of made me mad because like Extraction was this huge success on Netflix and I thought it was fine. Like, you know, the action scenes were fun, I guess. 
but I couldn't care less about that story or those characters. I just had it just felt very perfunctory. And that was one of those films where, you know, you get to the scene and you're like, oh, I know what happens in this scene. And the thing that you think happens happens. But because the action is kick ass, like it's like, oh, you know, but I enjoy watching this kick ass action. The old guard, I think, does both like you get these surprising you get a narrative that makes sense like the there was logic driving the narrative towards the end point of the story characters make decisions that are like oh actually that's a smart decision that's not just a thing that someone wrote and made this character do um but you also get really fun and exciting action scenes and then the world building i thought was really cool it's based on a graphic novel by greg rucka um who wrote the screenplay as well and i think did a really terrific job um, I don't know. I'd love to see more sequels. I'd love to see a prequel to this. Like this is something that uh, I just found this super interesting and, and really surprisingly good. So if you're still on the fence about watching the old garden, you have Netflix, it's really good. I highly recommend watching it. Yeah. I, I can only second that. Um, <clears throat> I thought the film was great. I, I really liked it. And I hope that mo- more people uh, give it a shot. Um, for me, uh, I wanted to show my wife this documentary that is kind of not really well that, that well known, but I saw it on sale for Amazon for like seven bucks. And I was like, Hey, I'll buy that DVD. Uh, the film's called resurrect dead, the mystery of the taunt, ta- uh, tone tile. I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm saying Toynberry tiles. There it is. Um, so around the world, but like, especially in the Northeast, you Northeast and, and Midwestern United States, you will find embedded in uh, various streets, these weird tiles. And the tiles read uh, Toynbee idea in Kubrick's 2001 Resurrect Dead on planet Jupiter. And there's really no explanation about (laughs) what that means. And the film is about these sort of amateur sleuths in, and the film came out in 2012, I believe, 2011. Um, but this, their search was in 2006. Uh, and it's really about sort of like their, their search for like, who is the author, uh, who is the Tyler, who is putting these tiles out? How is, how is he or she doing it? Um, and trying to find the identity of the Tyler, even though, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence that the, whoever doing this is mentally ill. Like that's the other thing. The solution is going to be at the end of this, you're going to find a mentally ill person. But I, I like the idea of like, there's this thing in the world and we can't explain it. It's being done by a person. What does it mean? I want to know more. And I think that sort of driving curiosity makes for a really rich kind of mystery. And, you know, watching these guys sort of try to put together these clues and like digging through like, you know, internet search boards and, and going to like the library and looking at microfiche and to like, who could this be? And, and why are they doing this all for this, this weird tile tiles that are just popping up everywhere. Um, I think it's a really cool story. And I think it's, it, it definitely also feels like, um, like the kind of story that couldn't be made. Like, I think now like Reddit would have solved it in a weekend or something, but you know, doing it in 2006, like these guys really had to put in the effort and, and really like they went to like a, they go to like a shortwave radio convention to like pursue down a lead. And it's just, it's really, um, it's a really fascinating story. Uh, and I definitely think as sort of more conspiracy theories take root in our culture, it's interesting to sort of see a film about like, how does an idea spread and like what makes, what captures people's curiosity and, you know, 
the how does the medium capture uh, a reader more than the the message it's just it's a good documentary um so if you can find it i think it's available to rent on itunes uh it's called resurrect dead uh the mystery of the uh, toynberry tiles never heard of that yeah it's good it played at sundance in like 2011 or 12 cool um cool well uh I'm just now realizing we did not put a poll into the field. We'll figure out what next week's episode is going to be and, and let you Stay all know. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, from negative to positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you gotta play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.